When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This week on WealthTrack, a rare interview with small company stock pioneer Chuck Royce about where he is still finding value in a challenging market. Chuck Royce is next on Consuelo Mack WealthTrack. Hello and welcome to this edition of WealthTrack. I'm Consuelo Mack. Our focus this week is small company stocks, defined as companies with market capitalizations, that's the value of their publicly traded stocks, ranging from $100 million to $3 billion or less. Small cap is a big universe. There are more than 2,200 publicly traded small company stocks in the U.S. alone. There are thousands more traded internationally. There is wide variety among small caps. They are in every imaginable business and vary widely in quality. The benchmark small company stock index, the Russell 2000, is a case in point. More than 34% of the companies in it have no earnings. That's up from 25% who were losing money in 2007. That hasn't prevented the index from doing really well in recent years. Over the past five years, the Russell delivered 14% annualized returns. And its growth stock component did even better with 15% returns, both considerably higher than their historical averages. The Russell's value index lagged growth but held its own with still impressive 13% annualized returns. There was also a tremendous difference in performance among the stocks themselves. The top two deciles were up 121% and 51% last year, while the two bottom deciles declined 55% and 28% respectively. According to this week's guest, that wide dispersion illustrates the opportunities available in this universe, even if the index itself looks risky. He is Chuck Royce, founder, chairman, and portfolio manager of the Royce Funds, which provided us with all of these statistics. Royce has been recognized as a pioneer in small cap stocks. He recognized early on that there were quality businesses to be found in stocks with smaller stock market valuations and that historically they outperformed larger company stocks, although as a group they tended to be more volatile. He has been lead portfolio manager of his flagship Pennsylvania Mutual Fund since 1972, and he is lead manager on several other funds, including the Royce Premier Fund, a Morningstar bronze medalist. Now, the funds have had some rough stretches of underperformance versus the Russell and small cap peers since the financial crisis and have experienced significant outflows as a result. But Royce is sticking to his value quality oriented discipline. Before the January market correction, Royce had warned about how expensive and risky the small cap universe was looking. I asked him how he felt after the market decline. It is very much in the scope of normal behavior. Stocks go up, they have corrections. We actually haven't had a correction in two and a half years. So this is very much in the kind of time for a correction. Um, It is not anything in it that is disturbing to us. Explain the cycles that small cap stocks go through, because it's that you say it's it's 
fair to measure your performance at Royce, for instance, uh, in a full cycle? Where are we in the cycle now in the small cap world? Oh, great question. We definitely think there are better ways to measure things other than the standard calendar year. Right. The standard cal calendar year is probably the worst single way. A better way would be over full market cycles, peak to peak, which will have a trough in the middle. So our goal is to do better in the downside, do reasonably well in the upside, and have way above average peak to peak numbers. And that happens you know, most of the time. That's certainly the goal, but it does not happen every time. Explain where we are in that peak to peak cycle now. We had a peak in June of 15. It actually was, the theme of that peak was a biotech bubble. Biotech had gone crazy, uh, new products, new many new companies, new IPOs, et cetera, et cetera. That was approximately the biotech peak. That set the stage for a fairly decent decline, 26% through the spring of the next year. Uh, and then we've had a heck of an advance since. But peak to peak, the market is actually up, you know, 25%. Uh, we're thrilled that we're up more. And talk to me about value, because you are considered to be value investors. And sometimes value outperforms, sometimes it underperforms. In our head, we are value managers, for sure. We don't, we're not against growth ever, but we are sensible about what we pay. The, the whole value growth thing did have a very underperformance for value between 11 and 15 during the zero interest rate environment. Right. The zero interest rate environment um, allowed growth companies to go from X multiple to 3X multiple. So because rates were low, you could measure duration in a much heftier way. So growth did extremely well. Value did okay, but not as well as growth. Value underperformed the basic core Russell. Um, we underperformed. Right. Oddly, we don't pick stocks on relative possibilities. We pick stocks on absolute possibilities. We are risk managers. We are very interested in how we might lose money if we invest in something. And we are importantly interested in how we're going to make money. But we're never sitting around comparing it, well, how will that do versus the Russell? Right. Also, although we are compared, that isn't our methodology. And, and tell us about how you pick stocks. So what does value mean at Royce? What do you look for in a company? We are primarily interested in a risk, you know, very classic risk reward but I want very modest downside. I, I'm very interested, and the whole firm is in the risk factor. So the old overused word of margin of safety is very much in our head. We are measuring and thinking about what can go wrong. So the first rule of investing is don't lose the money. Mm -hmm. And second rule is don't lose the money. <laughs> Uh, but the qualities that you're looking for in a company, for instance, you don't invest or traditionally have not invested in biotech. We right? need, we'd like earnings. So the biotech 
in that particular moment. Not all healthcare is biotech. Right. But biotech at its purest is new products going through FDA stages, A, B, C. And you get binary outcomes. Uh, it's venture capital in the public sector. That's just cool and wonderful. Not for us. Specifically, what do you look for in the companies that you put in your various portfolios? For me, I am very interested in high quality, super high quality companies that have demonstrated success, have demonstrated not just earnings, but high returns on capital, have, a, have some durable features that we can end up with a high conviction of. Give me a, uh, an example when you're talking about high quality and, uh, you know, what exactly does that mean at Royce? Well, in, in the area that I, I'm involved in, the quality zone of our firm. So mm-hmm. in my area, I'm paying a lot of attention to those measurable qualitative factors and many unmeasurable qualitative factors. So in the case of Clarkson, it's a global shipping broker that we currently own. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has everything you could ask for. It's asset light, i.e., therefore, it's not capital intensive, therefore, it is capable of high returns, and it does have it. It is, it is out of favor because shipping, sending shipments around the world is at a cyclical low, certainly was in the last year. Uh, it has a brand. It has, it sells their IP, their expertise when they're operating, and they have a data uh, accumulation that is makes them a critical player in their marketplace. So they have a number one standing in global markets. That's always something we're looking at. Right. Our favorite thing to do with a company like that would be to talk to their customers. Why do you deal, deal with Clarkson? And, right. You know, to have a reference point, are they can't wait to get out of that or are they looking forward to more? So that would be typical of the process we would use in a qualitative right. kind of standard. So why are small cap companies a, a separate asset class from what most of us own, which are large cap companies, for instance? How are, how are they different? I personally believe it is the single best place where active managers can play and do well and generate returns in excess of whatever they're measured against. It remains that way. It is big. It's thousands of companies. It's much bigger than the Russell 2000. It's global. It's around the world. It would be 20, 30,000 companies. So there's plenty of things to do, whether the market is up or down, whether we're in a cyclical depression or recession, uh, there's always things to do. And it is an exciting and actually evergreen area to shop. I think that a lot of people think of small cap companies as being, you know, young and, and, you know, more financially fragile. And in fact, that is not necessarily the case. There are those, but but that's not the kind of company you invest in. There are unbelievable number of 20, 30-year family-owned, family-owned to this day, smaller cap stocks around the world. 
So the phenomena that they all look like a biotech IPO is right. wrong. Mm -hmm. These are companies doing their thing probably in a niche business. Um, they might do it locally, they might do it globally. So they'll have all the characteristics anybody would be interested if they were looking to own a company for a long time, they will have wonderful, very sweet characteristics that would be anyone who took the time can come up with the idea that there's fantastic companies that you could think of as a business niche with very long-term prospects. Now, one of the things that you identified in, in your research is the fact that, uh, that international, that companies with more international business have outperformed those that are more focused on domestic uh, businesses. And, and Royce has international funds and you invest globally. Why, why are the ones that are more focused on international business doing better than their domestic counterparts? They tend to be global leaders so Lincoln Electric, a long-term favorite of ours, they're in the welding business. They're global leaders. Uh, they have operations around the world. They happen to be a company in Ohio that grew up in the U.S., but they became global leaders, and they, they, are, they have prospered around the world. We have many companies like that. This is a great time for those types of companies. And why is that? Because global growth is, is global getting stronger? Is or absolutely right. around the world in a very synchronized way that probably is a little bit surprising that it's so synchronized, but we're getting recovery around the world now. We led the recovery, Yes. but, but the rest of the world is following just as we speak. One of the other areas that you've identified as well as financial services. So explain what is going on in financial services that you have found attractive small cap companies. We in. have always liked financial services. We tend not to be super duper in banks, but we have more recently been adding banks because this is a exceptionally favorable period. Rates are going up, spreads are, are performing well, uh, and banks have their businesses to loan money. Loans are going up. So we actually like the banks, but historically we've used many, many things outside of the banking industry. Uh, starting two or three or four years ago, we got involved in the alternative space. Mm -hmm. and we have The alternative space meaning? Like KKR and uh -huh, right. Carlisle and Aries. Right, and so we, those are private, publicly traded private equity firms. These are and, publicly right? traded companies. They might be private equity mm -hmm. or they might be more credit like Aries. Mm -hmm. um, or they might do a little bit of everything like KKR. Uh, and we thought they were not getting the market attention that we thought they should, and we've invested in those areas. How have they done? They've done just fine, just fine. Right. And we continue to have them and feel good about them. If I look at the funds that you're running, and yeah. for instance, Pennsylvania Mutual, okay. which you Great. founded in 1972, owns a lot of different companies. Yes. But the premier fund uh, it is much more focused, yes. which was started in 1991. So, and it's, it's kind of the premier, the best 
ideas from Royce are yeah. in that fund. So uh, what's the criteria for the, a premier fund holding versus, let's say, a Penn Mutual holding? That is a great question. Pre to be in the premier fund, which I share responsibilities with Lauren and Steve. Right. Uh, they're fantastic contributors. Um, the requires very high conviction, doing lots of substantive sort of observation over long periods of time to make certain this is a company we would like to own the whole company and are willing to hold it forever, potentially. Mm -hmm. uh, so we have a very low turnover there, and it takes a while to get in that portfolio. In Penn, I do supervise Penn. We have many other managers right. involved in Penn. Uh, in Penn, I'm more willing to look at the current circumstances and to have a level of conviction that probably is not quite as severe as we do in Premier. Give me an example of a, of a stock, a company that you own in Premier that represents the kind of qualities of, I'd, I'd be willing to own the whole company and I'm, I'm, I'm in it for a long time. Kirby, a, uh, the senior market leader in global inland waterways. They run barges that move things. This is a great timing for Kirby. Things look terrible. Things are just coming out of a crunch period. You wouldn't buy it on a multiple basis. We have bought it on their highly likely to prosper in the accelerating times coming ahead. That's, that's, that's a great description of um, that the things are terrible. <laughs> that's why we own it. Chuck, since the, uh, the crisis, the financial crisis, index funds, the markets have done really well. And it's been extremely difficult to compete against index funds. Therefore, many investors are going passive. They're looking at, you know, the, gee, I've done great just investing in an index. They're low cost. Uh, and why would I go with an active manager? Give that me the case the, for the active the management. That is of the day. It is the most important question, really. We've had a straight-up market from the bottom of 09. Right. Straight up. The Russell, our index, has compounded in excess of 20%. Wow. Why do you need an active manager in that? Everything went up. We've had the inferior company went up dramatically. The inferior company benefited by the zero rate environment. They weren't pushed out of business by their, by their sins. They could borrow money. They could continue to function. As rates normalize, which they are right now, as we speak, rates are normalized. It's kind of annoying the market a little bit, mm -hmm. but rates are normalizing. That is healthy. It is completely appropriate, and it is the most wonderful thing for active managers. Active managers are risk managers at the core. Risk managers mean you're always thinking about risk. Now, if you're in a risk-free environment, which we were, we were. at 11 through 15, it didn't matter. 
any risk management actually was wrong. That hurt the performance. So we're back to a normal environment. Active managers are doing much better, especially in the small cap space, and we're doing much better. One of the things that you know, critics of active managers have said, as you know, is that it's, if, if you have like 1% fees or a little bit higher than that, as, they, as you do at Royce, which is Morningstar considers that to be an average expense, but nonetheless, when you're up against a Vanguard fund that's like you know, 15 basis points, um, it's, you, have, you have got a higher hurdle to overcome. So how do you argue against that the, the math, just we the sheer must, math. We must, over appropriate measurement periods, we must deliver outperformance. Otherwise, there's no justification for the active management and no justification for the fees. And I truly believe that in our space, we have a much higher probability of performing, not only us, but others. I believe completely that over a period of time, the fees are justified. And I believe there's one other secret weapon we have is our asset is as constrained asset category. We can't and won't run unlimited amounts of money. We are careful about how much money and how much cash flow we will take in products. And therefore, we have a much higher probability of delivering an outcome which will be satisfactory to those who want to look at fees. And right, you've closed funds in the pa- down in the past. Absolutely. You've, you know, you've, you've refused to like, take in more investments. Absolutely. Whereas obviously you're investing in an index fund. It's an infinite amount of money can go in there no matter what's going on. And the on. index in the Russell's case is a flawed index. It's not a, the index is not a company you want to own. In the S&P 500, you might be thrilled to own the S&P 500 as a company. These are mature successful companies. They have been selected to get in the S&P 500. Right. They essentially were not selected to be in the Russell 2000. So you get a huge range of dispersion of the qualitative aspects. You don't want to own the Russell in perpetuity as a company, whereas you want to own great smaller companies that have fabulous credentials and fabulous prospects. Final question, one investment for a long-term diversified portfolio, what should we all own some of? The most interesting thing is going on in our space. It started in domestic small cap, and as you mentioned before, it is now a serious asset class. The same thing is beginning to happen in the international space. So I very much favor people looking at international small cap as an evolving new area that will be as accepted as domestic small cap in the next five or 10 years. Thank you, Chuck Royce, for joining us on WealthTrack. Thank you. At the close of every WealthTrack, we try to give you one suggestion to help you build and protect your wealth over the long term. We advocate broad portfolio diversification among various asset classes and geographies and agree with Chuck Royce that there are numerous opportunities among small company stocks overseas. It is an overlooked and underowned area for most American investors. So this week's action point is consider investing in a small cap international fund. They offer regional diversification because many small caps do business within their home countries. 
International small cap funds have a history of outperforming large cap competitors. Foreign small company stocks are not widely followed, giving active managers a better shot at outperformance. And as Royce noted, some of the best-known small-cap indexes do not discriminate between profitable and unprofitable companies, so passive index investing can be risky. Well, one of Morningstar's longtime small-cap international fund favorites is the T. Rowe Price International Discovery Fund. It's a silver medalist, currently carrying a five-star rating, and its lead portfolio manager, Justin Thompson, has been overseeing the fund for 20 years. Now, our guests are not allowed to recommend their own funds, but the much younger Royce International Premier Fund is also rated five-star by Morningstar and has outperformed its category and benchmark since its 2010 inception with less volatility than its competitors and the market. Actually managed international small company funds can add diversification and appreciation to long-term stock portfolios. Well, next week during public television's fundraising drive, we are revisiting our rare annual outlook with Wall Street's number one economist, Ed Hyman, and global fund manager, Matthew McLennan. In this week's extra feature, Chuck Royce tells us why he has graduated from restoring homes and hotels to entire towns. And for those of you savvy social media users, please keep connecting with us on Facebook and Twitter. Thank you for watching. Have a great weekend and make the week ahead a profitable and a productive one.